Hello OneTribe, great to be with you, wish I could be with you in person. Still haven't been to Kenya ever, I've got my South African shirt on, got this shirt in Cape Town a couple of months back, but not yet been to Kenya. And uh, we of course are so thrilled that we've got Imbanisi and Tash with us in the UK for this year, I know that you must be missing them, but we're really blessed that they're here with my good friends Pete and Nikki Cornford uh, at Redeemer Church in Ealing, I know that the Malaba family are going to be a great blessing there for these months and hopefully they get blessed by being there as well. Uh, I'm from Gateway Church in Paul on the south coast of the UK, uh, a couple of hours outside London and uh, really thrilled to be able to share with you for this service. I've been asked to speak on the theme of being gospel-centred, being gospel-centred and our verse today is from the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. This is the verse. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, the purpose of the letter to the Hebrews, I think, can be summed up with two words. It's believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. This is what the whole letter seems to be about. It's a letter written to encourage believers who are going through some testing times and the writer keeps saying, believe Jesus. When you've believed Jesus, keep on believing Jesus. And when you believed, believe again. Believe, believe, believe. And the reason he says this is because there is a danger for Christians of drifting. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. There is a potential to drift. If there wasn't a danger of drifting, this letter wouldn't need to be written. <clears throat> this encouragement, this warning wouldn't need to be given. Now, why is it that people can drift away? There are three things, I think, which uh, can explain why sometimes believers can drift away from belief. And uh, as we go through these, we'll see why what gospel-centred, what being gospel-centred means and why we need to be gospel-centred so as not to drift away. I think the, the first reason why people can drift away from belief is that we can just get weary, just get weary. You know, it's, it's really hard to consistently do the same things for the whole of your life. And the reality is that many of the things that we do are seasonal and we do drift away from them. Things which once we were interested in or passionate about stop to catch our imagination and we are no longer interested in doing them. I wonder what you were doing five years or 10 years or 20 years ago, which maybe you don't do anymore. I think back, back across the course of my life, 40 years ago, as a boy, I was fascinated by the natural world. I mean, I'd have loved being in Kenya. You've got much better bugs and beasts than we do in the UK. But I would go out and collect snails and from my garden and have them in little tanks in my bedroom. And, you know, 40 years on, I have no interest whatsoever in keeping snails in my bedroom. It's just not what I want to do. Uh, 30 years ago, I was just really wanting to play rugby. That was what I wanted to do, play rugby the whole time. I, I have no interest in playing rugby anymore. Uh, 20 years ago, I got into taking part in triathlons. That really consumed a huge amount of my time and energy and focus for a, a number of years. I really don't have any desire to do another triathlon. 10 years ago, got into running marathons. And uh, for a number of years, again, that just filled up so much of my time, hours and hours training, my kind of social life all around the running club and not running like a Kenyan, plodding like a heavy Brit, but 
into running in a pretty serious way. Uh, six years ago, Grace, my wife and I, we did our, our, a marathon in Barcelona. That was my last marathon. I have no desire whatsoever to run another marathon. I, I really don't. I have drifted from all those things. I'm not bothered about keeping snails in my bedroom. I'm not interested in playing rugby. I can't be bothered to do a triathlon. I have no desire to do a marathon. I've drifted from those things. And, and it doesn't matter. Those things are inconsequential. But there are other things we can drift from which are much more significant. We can drift in terms of our relationships. I was just hearing just now, talking with uh, my colleagues here in the, in the church office about somebody whose marriage has drifted and the one partner is saying, well, I've just fallen out of love. There's been a drift in a relationship which has devastating consequences. And uh, these kind of, this, this kind of drift is, is typical for people my kind of age. Uh, middle-aged people tend to drift. But actually, these things can affect us whatever our age. We can feel that we get stuck into ruts and routines. We can get bored. We can become overly busy. We can become restless. And we can transition from being passionate about something to being familiar with it, to being bored with it, to just drifting from it entirely. And we see this uh, with Christians. We see this with new converts. I'm sure we've all seen this. People who respond in faith to Jesus with amazing passion and joy at this transformation of experience, coming to know Christ, and then maybe drift a bit like the parable of the soils that Jesus told that they get strangled by the thorns and thistles of life or scorched by the sun and seem to give up. And we need to remember the gospel. We need to be gospel-centered. We need to pay much closer attention so that we don't grow weary and drift away. I think a second reason why we can drift is not just weariness, but actually sin, deliberate sin. Choosing things which feel to us more desirable in that moment than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sin is a gospel issue. At the point at which we are tempted and give in to sin, the reason that we give in to the temptation and sin is because at that moment we stop believing the gospel. We believe that what the temptation offers us is more satisfying, more fulfilling, more nourishing, more pleasurable than what the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us. And all of us are vulnerable to this. Uh, all of us can slip into sin. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. At times it's when we actually are feeling kind of most robust spiritually. Those can be the moments when we are at the most danger of temptation coming in, catching us by surprise, catching us under, unawares, our distraction, our attention being distracted and us falling into sin rather than believing and holding to the gospel. Uh, we've recently got a, a new puppy in our house. One of my daughters has, has got a puppy. His name's Goose. He's very sweet. But the thing about a puppy is a puppy has a very short attention span, is very easily distracted. You're trying to get this puppy to do one thing and it sees something and it goes charging off after that. And we as Christians can be a bit like that. We can have short attention spans. Hebrews 2 verse 1, we must pay much closer attention lest we drift. Sin can come in, distraction comes in, temptation comes in, and we can drift away from the gospel. We can stop believing the gospel at that point, think that that other thing over there is more attractive, more desirable, more nourishing, more fulfilling, going to make us happier. And so we need to be perpetually vigilant about the reality of temptation and the dangers of sin. We need to pay much closer attention. The third reason why 
we might drift are what we might think of as external pressures. Uh, these are things which maybe don't fit in the same kind of category of temptation as we might normally think of what temptations look like. Uh, but they're the things really which, where being a Christian demands a cost of us. And the reality is that Christianity does demand a cost. It can be costly. There are areas of life where being a Christian actually makes things more difficult. Being a Christian uh, brings all kinds of benefits, grace, joy, gladness into life. But it also, honestly, makes some things more difficult. There are things in my life which are more difficult than they would be if I wasn't a follower of Christ. Now, of course, in some contexts, that means active, actual persecution. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in Iran or North Korea or some other situation like that, there is a huge cost that has to be considered and often has to be paid. Being a Christian makes life ever so much more difficult in those kind of contexts. In our context, it's probably not quite the same. In in my context here in the UK, the, the costs are, are different, more subtle, maybe not so obvious, but nonetheless still real. There's perhaps kind of the social cost that being a Christian actually can be socially embarrassing in a, a British concert, a context where most people have no Christian belief whatsoever now and would regard Christianity often as something which is bizarre or quaint or old-fashioned or out of fashion or actually unattractive or even would have some hostility towards Christianity. To, to be a Christian can carry a kind of social embarrassment, a social stigma. There are pressures that can come from family expectations. If you've got family who are not followers of Christ in the way that you are, and uh, the family's expecting you to do things or conform to certain ways of behaving or have expectations of your time. And being a Christian might mean that you're living differently or have different priorities. That can be costly. In my context, a huge thing is, is uh, parents with kids, how you raise your kids. There can be huge pressure in terms of what the expectations are for kids to do. That Sunday mornings, you've got to get the kids to participate in all kinds of sports. Why would you take the kids to church? That, that can be a, a real kind of conflict and cost. And if we're going to withstand these external pressures, we need to have a robust faith. We need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Weariness, sin, external pressures, all these things can cause us to drift away. And the antidote to drift is to pay much closer attention. It's to be gospel-centred. To have the gospel at the centre of our lives, the gospel at the centre of our thinking, of our actions. And that means paying close attention. That's what it says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Therefore. Why does it say therefore? Whenever the Bible says therefore, you've got to ask what it's there for. And of course, the therefore is Therefore, in light of what has been previously said, our verse is Hebrews 2 verse 1. We've had the whole of chapter 1 leading up to chapter 2. It's therefore in the light of what's been said in Hebrews chapter 1. This is how the letter to the Hebrews starts, Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe 
by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is a summary of the gospel. This is the message that an unbelieving world needs to hear. And it's a message that we need to keep hearing as well. That God has made himself known to us, that we are not alone in the universe. There is a God and that God has made himself known to us through his son, Jesus Christ. He has dealt with our sin. There was a barrier between us and God, but that barrier has been removed by the sacrifice of the Son of God. And in Christ, we come to know the one who created all things and sustains all things. In Christ, we get to know the creator and the sustainer of life. Coming into Jesus, coming into relationship with Jesus, means life. Now, this is the gospel. This, these verses are a summary of the gospel. There is a God. The way to him is open through Christ. Knowing Christ means to know the creator and sustainer of all things. Knowing God is to have life. That's the gospel. Knowing this, responding to this, believing this is how we enter into faith. It's how we enter into relationship with God. It's what we talk about being born again, coming into new life, being born of the spirit, being born of above, being transformed, awakened in our souls, knowing God in Jesus Christ. But it's also the way that we stay in our faith by coming back to the gospel again and again, believing the gospel, believing the gospel, believing the gospel, believing Jesus, believing Jesus, believing Jesus, paying much closer attention to what we have heard. And it's by paying attention to these things, by being gospel-centred, that we can overcome the things which would cause us to drift. It's by being gospel-centred that we can overcome temptations to sin and weariness and the external pressures. Let's see how this works. What we need to do is apply the gospel. We need to apply the gospel every day in our lives. The illustration or the comparison, uh, the, the, the imagery that's used, used all the way through the letter to the Hebrews is, is that of the people of Israel as they were brought out of slavery in Egypt and were, were being led by Moses towards freedom in the promised land. And the rest of the Hebrews described, in a sense, the people of Israel as having received the gospel. They had the law of God, which was revealed angelically to them, this objective standard by which they were to live, the instructions from God. They also had personal experience. They had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They'd seen amazing signs and wonders which God had performed through Moses. But they failed to apply those things. They had the objective truth of God's law. They had the personal experience of all that they'd seen. But rather than applying that gospel and living by it, they drifted from it. And that drifting had consequences. The immediate consequence was that they didn't enter the land. Having left Egypt a couple of weeks later, they should have been in the land. But they drifted because they didn't apply the gospel. They, they, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness instead. And there was nothing wrong with the gospel which they had received. The problem was their failure to pay attention. The problem wasn't the gospel. The problem was their failure to pay attention. And they drifted. They got weary. They gave into sin. They 
were more aware of the external pressures that surrounded them than the realities of what was offered them in the gospel. And these things serve as a warning to us. That's the whole framing imagery of the letter to the Hebrews. Now, our reality is that the gospel we have received, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is even greater than that which the Israelites had received. The people of Israel had angelic revelation. We have the revelation of the Son. The people of Israel had the word of the prophets. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. The people of Israel had the miracles of the Exodus. We have the miracles of Jesus, the active presence of the Holy Spirit and the witness of those who saw Christ and all that he did. What we have received is greater and that means that our responsibility is greater. We must pay much closer attention lest we drift away from what we have heard. This is what the writer of the Hebrews says next, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, that's a pretty dense paragraph. A lot of the letters of the Hebrews take some chewing through. But what it says here, look what it says here, look at the kind of legal terminology that is used here. It says that this gospel is, in a sense, legally settled. There's been a declaration, an attestation, a witness, which has proved the validity and the power of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has also been experientially proved to us over the signs and wonders, what Jesus has done and the signs and wonders that we still see today. And then there's a witness of the Holy Spirit who witnesses in our hearts. There's an objectivity to the gospel and there's a personal experience to the gospel. We have this gospel. We need to apply it. Don't neglect it. Don't drift. Our salvation is very great. And so we need to Keep listening to what we've heard. Pay more careful attention. Be gospel-centred. Don't drift. What we need to do is apply the gospel when we are weary. It might be that even as you're watching this, you're feeling weary. It might be that you've had all kinds of stuff going on in life which has just made you feel weary, tired. What do you do if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling spiritually dry, spiritually weary, what we need to do is to meditate on the goodness and the greatness of Christ Jesus. You know, my, my tastes and my interests have changed over the years. I'm no longer interested in doing some of the things I was 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. My interests, my desires have shifted but there are some things that I have never grown weary of. I've never grown weary of watching the sun rise in the morning. I've never grown weary of eating good food. I've never grown weary of knowing and experiencing love. There are some things which have been constants in my life. And what we need to do if we're to overcome spiritual weariness is to direct our thoughts to what is eternally nourishing those things which will nourish us now and forever, the good things of the gospel. And this is what the 
writer to the Hebrews in this letter sets out. He talks about the greatness of Christ. He talks about the amazing truth of Christ's divinity, that Christ is God. He talks about the miracle of Christ's humanity, that Christ is also fully human. He talks about Christ's amazing sacrifice and Christ's great priesthood. And the reason that the writer to the Hebrews sets these things out to a people who are in danger of growing weary and drifting is because these things are eternally nourishing. Think about the gospel. Think about who Jesus is. Think about what Christ has done. Inject some spiritual rocket fuel into the system so that we can overcome spiritual weariness, that we might pay much closer attention and not drift away. We need to apply the gospel when we're tempted. We need to remind ourselves of the scale of the prize that is ours. Temptation is powerful because it offers us something which seems pleasurable in the moment. We need to remember the the scale of the prize that is ours in Christ, that Jesus Christ is the great treasure. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one it is worth jettisoning everything else for in order to obtain him, this pearl, this treasure. This is what the gospel teaches us. And so we need to allow the gospel to shape how we see reality. Temptation would come to us and say, this can be a reality for you, this thing. The gospel will say, no, this is the reality, a different reality, a different, a better treasure. This is what it says about this later in the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews 11 verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking, he was looking to the what? To the reward, to the greater treasure. Now, Moses could have enjoyed being a prince in Egypt. He could have enjoyed the wealth of that kingdom, the privilege, the prestige of that position. But he knew there was a greater treasure, a greater prize that was revealed to him in the gospel. And we need to have our thinking shaped in a similar way. We need to grasp hold of what is eternal and solid compared to what is fleeting and flimsy. What temptation to sin offers us can seem ever so powerful, ever so attractive, but in the end, it's always fleeting, it's always flimsy. What we have in the gospel, what we have in Christ, is solid and eternal. And then we need to apply the gospel when we are under pressure. Pressures can be very real. At times, the pressures we experience can feel overwhelming. Certainly in this past season, the past couple of years, with all that's gone on, there have been times when I have felt crushed, overwhelmed by the realities of the pressures of life. When that happens, we need to look to the example of Christ. This is what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What this says to us is that it is possible to stand and not give ground. Yes, All kinds of pressures come, but look to the example of Christ who endured such hostility, but still stood his ground. Look to to Christ, lay hold of the gospel, pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift from it. We need to apply the gospel. When we're we're weary, when we're tempted, when we're hard-pressed, apply the gospel. 
But, really importantly, we apply the gospel in the context of community. We apply the gospel in the context of community. Christianity is not a lone ranger exercise. It's not something that we can do on our own. Look what our verse says, Hebrews 2 verse 1. We, we must pay much closer attention to what we have hurt. The instruction is to the church, to the congregation. We must do this. Together we must do this. One of the limitations of, of uh, British English is we, we can't distinguish between the plural and the singular when we say you. One of the things I appreciate when I visit my friends in uh, the southern states of the US is that they have the, the, the southern phrase of y'all, uh, which is the plural for you. actually makes many of the verses of the Bible much more uh, alive and much more reflecting how they're written. Y'all, plural, these instructions to us, not just to me personally. Believing in Jesus, applying the gospel, being gospel-centered is a community exercise. It's we, it's y'all, it's us. The New Testament understanding of the Christian is that to be a solitary Christian is just unimaginable. It doesn't make any sense. Think about some of the verses, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 1 and 1 Peter 2 about how we are members of the body being built into a spiritual house, how, how, how we're being joined together. Uh, this is, this, the language of the New Testament is saturated with this imagery of who we are together, the people of God. And I think probably in Kenya, you grasp this more naturally than we do here in the UK. But we need to be reminded of this. This is something that we do together. Responding to the gospel means joining the body, the body of Christ. And the gospel has to be worked out in the body. We work it out together. The church actually is meant to be the evidence of the gospel. The church is how we live out the gospel together. And, and that means that we don't just attend church, but we are in church. We're members of the body working out the gospel with one another. And that means that there's a responsibility in the whole congregation, for the whole congregation, to stop the congregation from drifting. Think what our verse says, we must pay much closer attention lest we drift away. There's a danger actually that whole churches can drift. Weariness can set in at a congregational level. Temptation can affect a whole congregation. Uh, external pressures can affect a whole congregation. That seems to be what's happening here. This is why the, the writer writes his letter to the churches, this letter to the Hebrews, because there were whole congregations in danger of drifting because of the pressures they were experiencing. The concern of this letter is not just individuals, but the whole community. Don't drift. The analogy there, of course, don't drift, is a, is a boating one. Uh, boats can drift, and drifting in a boat is, is pretty much always bad news. When Grace and I first moved to Poole 14 years ago, because it's a coastal town, beautiful beaches, we bought a, just a, a little small fishing boat with a little outboard motor. And when we first got it, uh, it was, seemed to be great, and we took it out on the water, and it was all going fine, and then the engine cut out, and we had all kinds of engine trouble for the first, well, few months, actually, we had that boat. Boats are always, always seem to be trouble, and, and, and there were a couple of times when the engine wouldn't work, and we were out on the water, and we drifted, and that was not fun. Actually, it was pretty scary. There was a, a one time where we were drifting close to a, a ferry, and it, just, it was really dangerous, and uh, anxiety about how we were going to get out of the danger. Drifting 
is not good news. It's not good news. When a boat drifts, pretty much guarantee it's not going to drift in a good result. It's going to drift into something dangerous, into another vessel, onto rocks, uh, into dangerous waters. That's, that's what happens when boats drift. And it's dangerous for us to drift. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Of course, the, the other boat metaphor that is, is, is in view here is that, that of Noah's Ark. The ark was a boat which was a refuge. It was a place where life came, life was saved, rescue was performed through the ark. There was an offer of rescue to the world. And the church is meant to be like the ark. The church is meant to be a place which carries those who have been rescued and offers rescue to the world. Not a drifting vessel, but an ark of salvation. Don't let the church drift. Hebrews 10 verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What are we to do? We are to actively help one another apply the gospel. Apply the gospel. One tribe church, help one another to apply the gospel. When you see a brother or sister who is weary or tempted or under pressure, help them to apply the gospel, together apply the gospel. Be gospel-centred. Message of salvation is ours. And so we do need to be vigilant. We need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Have you been paying attention to the gospel? I hope you have. If you have, Pay even closer attention to the gospel. If you've been drifting, come back, pay attention to the gospel again. Think about the treasure that is yours in Christ Jesus. Inject some rocket fuel thinking about the greatness and the goodness of Christ. Remind yourself of who he is and what that means for you. Facing temptation, you can withstand it because there's a greater treasure which is offered you in Christ. Facing all kinds of external pressures, you can stand your ground because we know that Christ Jesus already has and in him we too can stand. Apply the gospel, believe the gospel, pay much closer attention. We need to listen up, we need to hear. We have a great salvation, we have a glorious gospel. We have a mighty saviour. Let's pay much closer attention and not drift. God bless you, One Tribe. I'd like to pray for you. Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in One Tribe Church in Nairobi, that you would help them to be gospel-centred, to apply the gospel in the context of community, to build one another up, to remind one another of the truth, to encourage each other in what is good, to withstand every sin, to withstand every pressure, to overcome every sense of weariness and to be filled with the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. Thank you that you have opened the way for us to know the God of heaven, the creator and sustainer of all things. Thank you that in the gospel, through Christ, we have life. And I pray that the brothers and sisters at One Tribe would know and display this life that is theirs. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, One Tribe. Amen.